0: I'm Matthew,
1: I'm Rodrigo, and I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic
2: fans. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and we will go into detail about the topics we discuss, so if you haven't read, listened to, or watched the items we talk about, you
0: might want to come back later. In this, our Triss podcast, we have repeated reviews, some spoilers supreme, heavy metal heroes and their fans' feedback, a little white witch, Rodrigo gets hyper, Steven pours a foundation, we'll go to the tote board for the final tally on the hero drive, Aquaman's dead, and I don't feel so good myself. On this, the lucky 13th major spoilers podcast.
1: Wow, Matthew, you just ran through everything for us this week. Nice. Wow, That's nice, we nicely, it's nicely done. done. Do. Hey, uh... You know what? Rodrigo and
0: I saw a little movie this uh, past weekend. Iron Man, Iron Man, does whatever an iron can. Steams your shirt, squashes ants, puts the creases in your pants. Hey there, here comes the Iron Man. Thank like you. <laughs>
1: yes,
0: thank you, Matthew. I think I've seen
1: that one up on the, on the forums. Uh, man. I think, in that your SIG on the forums?
0: It may be, actually. On the major
1: spoilers forums or somewhere I saw that before. So, yes, Rodrigo and I did venture forth this past week, Mm -hmm. and we uh, saw Iron Man in the theater. I went and saw it Thursday night. Mm -hmm. Love the heck out of it. Um, Rodrigo, what are some some of your reactions off the top of your head?
2: Oh, I thought it was great. Um, It's it's funny because, you know, in retrospect, it's like we probably see Iron Man as Iron Man for about, maybe 10% of the film and it's all just sort of Tony Stark building up to it you know oh, you yeah. do see the mark 1 armor which is great um, but um, you know it's it's all about Tony Stark mo- much more than Iron Man and it's really great uh, Jeff bridges was fantastic mm-hmm. uh, what's his name T- the dude, yeah, no, yeah, Obadiah Stane, I believe. Yeah, him. yeah, Ironmonger, great, great little tidbit that they throw in there. They never call him Ironmonger, but he refers to him and Tony as Ironmongers because right, they're weapons right. dealers. Right. That, fantastic writing. Yeah. um It's just you know it was really great that, that I you know
1: it's a I think it's a kind of a good origin story. Yeah, and it's one that I was really surprised. Even though it's set during a different time period, the modern time period in, we'll say, Afghanistan as who he's captured by some Afghani rebels or something Mm -hmm. is is what we're led to believe in the movie. But essentially, it's the same storyline that plays out from the Silver Age, the modern age, movies and DVDs. And I thought maybe we could take a moment and just kind of review some of the ways that Tony Stark became uh, Tony Stark um, or became Iron Man. Uh, throughout the ages, or through some of the different incarnations. And his first appearance was in uh, Tales of Suspense, number 39. Now, this one is set during Vietnam, and... I just giggle every time I I read this issue. It's just so funny. I, I think it's because the technology of the time has really changed. In in this tales of suspense, again set during the Vietnam backdrop, Tony is all into magnetism and transistors. Transistors.
2: They say transistors at least five times every page, yep. and
1: they also say those red commies are yeah. you know, like every other. You know, oh, even the even this guy that's captured later on uh, Yin Yin uh, Yin Sin. Um,
2: Refers to them as yes, the red, as the even red, though he's Chinese yeah. himself. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's it's really funny in there. But anyway, um, you know, he's actually not really a weapons dealer at, at this time, but he is making technology that makes carrying heavy ordnance into the field much mm-hmm. easier, so that they can defeat those red commies. Um, and so, for whatever reason, he goes to the jungle for some visit to see how his his uh, devices are working, and he. Steps on a on a tripwire and sets off a bomb, which of course sends the shrapnel into his into his chest, inching ever closer to his heart. And these uh, red guerrilla terrorists uh, capture him, and and the head head uh, war his name's Wong Chu, uh, the the Chinese guerrilla, recognizes him as Tony Stark, the big weapons dealer, and says, "Make me the ultimate weapon, uh, and I'll save your life in a week." Mm-hmm. And Tony, being Tony, goes, "Oh, he's he's lying, but I'll play along." And um, that's when we're introduced to this uh, Professor Yensen, uh, once a great scientist. And what they do is they decide to build this Iron Man suit to keep Tony's heart beating, not mm-hmm. to keep the uh, the shrapnel from getting closer to his heart, but just to keep him beating. And they build this Mark I suit that we've seen in the trailers and that you've seen in, in comics for all these years. And it's interesting because Jensen sacrifices himself as the suit's powering up, which is – almost exactly like what happens in the movie, but this time it's some uh, other professor, not of Chinese descent, who sacrifices himself so the suit has time to power up. And uh, I just find it funny that he's got you know, magnets and repulsor rays and yeah. some kind of suction cup that helps him leap up to the ceiling and stick. And and uh, of course he gets out, and, and he doesn't have a, a suit that has weapons on it. Instead, he's, he squirts like, oil oil yeah. from his lube system onto the weapons ordinance and then uses a uh like a flamethrower to set the whole thing up and blow up and that 's essentially uh, the end of that tales of suspense number thirty nine you know you're <laughs> looking back on it, you can kind of see a little racism uh, showing up, uh, but it wasn 't like World War Two racism that you find with uh, how the Japanese were treated at and, that drawn, time. That a- and drawn for that matter that's and drawn for that matter and certainly they avoid the uh you know, they're replacing the, the uh, R's with L's and, yeah. and vice versa that you would see. So they really handled that well uh, for the time. And I just found it fascinating that that issue is very close to what we saw in the movie.
2: Well, I think somebody on the site commented, um, you know, something that's very true, that uh, there will always, unfortunately, there will always be some place where you can set Iron Man's origin story because there's always going to be some war going on. Yeah, some kind of conflict. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's relevant because it could happen today. And, you know, as, as far as the movie goes, it did happen today.
1: Right. Which brings us to, what, the the the, mm. the next retcon of uh, Tony Stark's origin, the Iron Man origin in, what is it, Iron Man 144, Matthew?
0: Invincible 144, yeah, comes out uh, came out in March of 1981. Uh, basically, it's very faithfully retelling the initial portion of the story. Um, since it's 1981, they actually have to change one thing in that he's not actually part of an American contingent fighting the war. He's an advisor mm. in oh, Vietnam since... The actual conflict continued after the Americans were gone, but by 1981, there's really no way that Tony Stark could have been there during the actual war and still have right. had the the Marvel universe be around for five years. And it tells everything very faithfully up to the point where he leaves. uh well, when Wong Chu—I love that name, by the way—Wong Chu is, is be my name. Is it the neighbor. same?
1: Is it the same one <clears> in the in Invincible 144?
0: Yeah, yeah it was where, Wang Chu Wang Chu basically is killed due to his own stupidity, for lack of a better word, and he and Professor Jensen had built the armor, and he walks off into the jungle. And then this story picks up about ten minutes later where he walks out into the jungle and finds an American pilot, Jim Rhodes,
2: whose mm. uh, whose
0: gunship had, had crashed. Dun dun dun. I wonder, was War Machine also a Black Sabbath song? Never mind. Anyway. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But uh, Iron Man and um, Jim Rhodes basically together have to fight off the remainder of Wong Chu's hordes. But retells the story. The main difference is that he initially isn't there as part of the actual war effort. But the thing that's really fascinating to me is it takes Jim Rhodes and retcons him. His first appearance was like five issues before this. But it retcons Rhodes as having been Tony Stark's pilot from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Hmm, Interesting. So... It throws in kind of a buddy picture vibe and takes it back to the earliest moments of Iron Man's origin and really kind of builds in that best friend relationship that they've been exploiting for the last 20 years off and on. Well, I love the, him. I hate him. I love him.
1: Well, in the movie, they kind of – it's kind of that same way as in uh, Tony Stark is kind of this playboy guy. Uh, they do mm-hmm. – you know, at first I was kind of like, okay, they don't really show him being an alcoholic in the movie, but they kind of show him always with a, a drink, a party guy kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um but they have Rhodes on as a liaison between Stark Industries and the military. Yeah, the, the, uh, the Air and Force, I think. they have known each other for some time, and it's not something mm-hmm. that he's just introduced in the movie, and this is the first time they work together. It's obvious in the movie that they're friends for a long time, including the part where they're flying to, um, we'll say the Middle East, and Tony's like, we need a drink, and then the next thing, you know... Uh, yeah, he's got Rody drunk. Rhodey is and- just like, no, 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 and he's like, cut to a scene they're sitting on the couch laughing drunk and the stewardesses are stripper pole yeah. dancing and uh oh, really really God. good stuff i mean it's it's really good i mean it's not <laughs> it's such a quick scene it's not like that big a deal that you would be offended i think by anything um and then we've all seen from the trailers and the previews that have been online how uh, tony gets attacked and captured and then builds the suit so i mean that's all the same i mm-hmm. if you guys want a really different take. On the Iron Man origin, you really should uh, watch the Invincible Iron Man direct to DVD. Mm-hmm. Wow, I, I that was probably my first introduction to Iron Man because, like most people know, I'm not a big Marvel reader. Mm-hmm. I know how you know how he built the suit and everything, right? But this one has it's set in China this time, and it has Rhodey as not even military, but just someone who works for Stark Industries, and they're trying to salvage this archaeology. Archaeological Mandarin city uh, uh, created by the Mandarin, who is uh, Iron Man's one of Iron Man's enemies. Uh, but mm-hmm. they keep getting attacked by raiders, and Rhodey gets captured. Tony arrives to investigate the disappearance. It's all a trap. Tony gets captured and gets shot, and of course, that's where he uh, he gets attacked. Uh, in this retelling, Tony or uh, um, Rhodey is an army medic and not an army personnel, and he's the one that builds the device that keeps Tony's heart pumping, mm-hmm. and then the two of them hmm. work together to build the Mark I armor. And in the other retellings, it's this Yensin character. In the uh, animated series, it's the daughter of, I am guess it's going to be Wong Chu, uh, who kind of helps them and aids them to escape. But what's really different about this is not only does it introduce the Mandarin character, but uh, once they get back to the States and they go back to the Stark uh, Enterprise's building, Tony opens up this secret laboratory that he has behind his office, and there's like 27 different Iron Man suits that he's been building, including the Iron Monger, the War War Machine. Uh, Probably
2: the Hulkbuster. There,
1: I believe that one's in there. There's one for going down into the ocean. Mm-hmm. And it's just yeah. like, Tony's been working on these in secret all this time, and the Mark I that we believe in the movie as the Mark One. It's just the latest version that he's modifying because that's the scrap metal that he has.
2: It does, it does take a little bit away from it, although, as the converse, it does bring Brody closer to it because then he's the one who helps him build the armor.
1: Yeah, I, but you know at the same time it really isn't because Tony's been doing it all the time and right. he even says in the in the animated movie that oh it's just something i come up and i that came up in my head and then when Tony reveals the real deal Rhodey's really pissed saying, you know, i can't believe you lied to me about this and you've been doing this in secret and Tony's like, well, i was going to bring you in when i thought the time was right. Mm-hmm. And speaking of time being right, i thought that was a brilliant way of how you know, this whole movie is this look of, at first, Tony Stark is called a merchant of death, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's a cool name. But yeah. then after he escapes, he starts to become this transition of, you know, what have I become? You know, what what am I doing? Am I really somebody that wants to be selling arms to terrorists just to, as Obadiah says, you know, we need to do this because that's what keeps our business alive, And he starts to change. And so he flies off to the Middle East where there's some conflict going on. And he saves a bunch of people and stops some of the raiders. And then flying back, he's attacked by two U.S. military planes. And this Mm. is what, again, you see it in the previews. And there's this great dialogue where... Tony Stark is flying in the Iron Man suit and just calls up, uh, you know, Rhodey and say, hey, man, uh, (laughs) uh, what's going on? And it's just it's a great exchange uh, between the two. And, you know, in that sequence, the flying sequence, the effects are just amazing in the piece. And obviously, when we're talking about CGI stuff. Uh, it's much easier to replicate metal items mm-hmm. than organic items. But I thought it was right. spot on.
2: And and really, <clears throat> as as far as that stuff, they, they, they did a lot of good things, which is when the armor was kicking around uh, with with people around, right. and it was an actual piece of hardware. Yeah, it was hardware. an actual piece of hardware created um, by Stan then,
1: Winston Studios, I believe. Right,
2: and then when he's flying around, the planes are probably CG, the armor is CG, so it's not a problem. And it's great because... Stuff like, even in the first Spider-Man movie, I remember being like, oh, crap, I can't believe they're doing this. When you see Peter Parker running through the rooftops, and then when he jumps, it's clear that he all of a sudden becomes a CGI a CG, character. Yeah. And then lands again, and he's, you know, uh, Toby Maguire's stuntman again. Right.
1: <laughs> but I thought I thought the effects were great. Now, what about this story? Well, essentially what happens is it's revealed that uh, the Arab version of, of uh, Wong Chu is... Working in cahoots with Obadiah Stain mm-hmm. and um, and they recover the Mark One armor, which allows Stain to build the War
2: Monger. Mm-hmm. And of course, they battle it out. Now, did
1: did you have a problem with that storyline? No,
2: not really, because. Um... You know, he's trying to get the plans for this, and he can replicate the armor. The thing that he can't replicate is, is the power, the power source, yeah. and the, the way that they did the power source was just fantastic. I love that. Um, and then it, you know, as, as a movie, it's really great, because uh, Obadiah and Tony are friends, mm-hmm. and in order for Obadiah to reach his goals, he has to basically, literally rip out Tony's heart. Yeah. and put it into the armor cuz it's the only thing keeping him alive and you know there's this whole thing where um he has basically the Mark 1 heart right and uh, he gives it to Pepper again another kind of thing is like mm-hmm. well I don't want it but he ends up he gives her his heart right right um and she
1: frames it in this little thing <laughs> yeah and, and inscribes it saying proof that Tony Stark has a heart right yeah. so
2: then he goes and he tries to get it and then that's that's how he, Tony survives that and um you know it's that's really great because it's you know the the weaponry of the armor can be duplicated but it's the sort of the soul the of the spirit, armor, the heart. Yeah, Tony Stark right. cannot be duplicated. Yeah,
1: yeah right, that's a good. That's a good observation. I didn't really think about that uh, watching it, but that's why I didn't go to film school like Rodrigo. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't go to there film school. <laughs> uh, I guess the only problem I have, and and Matthew, how long? And you probably read a lot more, the same way with you, Rodrigo, have read a lot more Iron Man than I ever have. How long has Obadiah been a foil for Tony Stark?
2: Not long. I think from what I've read, and and maybe Matthew's read more, Ironmonger's always... there. The thing about Iron Man, and I think a lot of uh, comic book superheroes, is they end up with a lot of clones, and Mm. Ironmonger was just the clone of the week for Iron Man. I see. Um, But but, Ironmonger
0: first appeared in, like, the 160s, I believe, somewhere around Iron Man number 160 or 165 was the first time Obadiah Stane appeared, Mm -hmm. and That it was actually a long arc where, over the course of 20 or 30 issues, he ran Tony out of business, bought Stark International, trying to mine it for all its secrets and steal all the Iron Man secrets from the company. It was the storyline, the second storyline, where Tony really descended into alcoholism, and the first time that Jim Rhodes became Iron Man Mm -hmm. and acted as Iron Man for about two or three years, uh, comic time. Uh, he was the he was the Iron Man that went through the Secret Wars. He was the Iron Man that joined oh, that's true. the West Coast Avengers. And during that time, Obadiah Stane was building, trying to seal everything he could, every little scrap of what he could find in the old Stark International offices. Mm-hmm. And then in issue 200, we see Tony Stark has built, the, to me, the coolest armor, the best armor, the silver Centurion armor that looks kind of like Optimus Prime. Oh, and cool. <laughs>
1: Now, we didn't see that in, in the movie, but we did see three different versions of the Iron Man suit. The Mark One, mm-hmm. the silver right. suit, which had some freezing issues, which is kind of uh, a lead-up to what was going to happen in uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. And then the Mark Three armor, which we know as the classic red and gold
2: armor.
0: Right. Um, with, with the big hip boots and the evening gloves that I don't care for yeah, so much. <laughs> now,
1: now, does Obadiah stain – does he die in the comic? Is he dead?
0: only I mean, as far killed as people himself. die
1: okay as as cuz that's my big problem with these superhero movies if you're going to do it and you're going to do it right you need to build up a pantheon of villains for the hero to always fight and if you go from movie to movie and you're constantly killing the villain you're not going to have that villain rise again to tell a better story in the future, and that's what happened in Batman Begins. That's what happened in the original Batman when they killed Joker, and now we're going to tell you know the Dark Knight, which features the Joker again.
2: And but you gotta you gotta hand it to uh, the X Men, and that they didn't. Right. In fact, every X Men movie features Magneto as the you know most yeah. prominent bad guy. Yeah,
1: and that's what I like about that. But you know, seeing Obadiah you know in the Iron Monger suit essentially die and we're assuming that he's dead Mm -hmm. because of the way that the secret agents are saying oh yeah we've got a perfect story built up about these planes yeah um and speaking of secret agents, it's really funny because I know that they say it right at the end of the movie, but all throughout there's this there's this agent guy from the government that keeps wanting to debrief Tony on what happened in mm-hmm. in the Middle East, and he keeps saying where they us Josh blah blah, and you know he never can get it out all the way. Yeah, gigantic
2: name, and I didn't catch it. I didn't catch it until
1: the end, and I was it was another like
2: oh snap Shield,
1: and then he goes oh ma'am just call a Shield, and and it's like oh yeah, but the best part has to be the part that happens after the credits, and I'm sure. You know, everybody's blown it by now. If you haven't stuck around after the credits, we talked about it before on the Major Spoilers website. Come on, people! It's Ultimate Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson makes an appearance and says, "Tony Stark, you welcome to a brand new world. We want you to be part of the Avengers Initiative, which is setting up this whole big, beautiful thing that's coming up over the next uh, four or five years from mm-hmm. from Marvel. Which that was the you know I had to tell everybody. Uh, I went with a group of my students and I was like, well let's make sure that we stay to the past the credits of, of the movie and also that we do the same thing when we go see the Incredible Hulk and they're like, why, why? And I'm like, just wait and see. Mm-hmm. And afterwards they were like, Oh man, that was so cool. Samuel <laughs> Jackson, ah da 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 So, you know, that was that was pretty cool. So overall, what was your rating would you give this movie?
2: Oh, I would I would definitely give it a good four and a half stars. I mean as far as I'm concerned it's um you know, as far as the first movies of the run, it's probably Spider Man, X Men, Iron Man. I mean, I just, I really love Spider Man and the X Men yeah. so much, and they, they were really well told. But if you consider that he just bummed down the Hulk, Daredevil, and uh, probably every Batman movie that I've seen. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's it's high praise, I think. I'm going to give it a four
1: mainly because I have some issues with some suspension of disbelief that has Mm -hmm. to occur as well as the fact that you're killing the characters. And I just, I hate it when you kill off the main villain where he doesn't run away to fight another day. So I'm going to give it four and I would probably say Spider-Man, Iron Man, Mm X-Men, but before Spider-Man, of course... The, uh Batman Begins. Okay. So four out of five from me. Uh, over on the, a uh, lot of comments, a lot of people posting up at Majorspoilers.com with the comments and we're just going to run through some of them. John from uh, double Dumbass on youcom wrote, uh, Iron Man was everything I expected to be and surprised me in many ways. I thought I would have been wrestled, which is an inside joke for those of <laughs> you that visit the Major spoiler <laughs> site on a regular basis, with all the clips that have been circulating on the interweb, but I wasn't. Iron Man accomplished something that Marvel has wanted to do forever In establishing a greater movie continuity with their various properties, uh, where their various properties could interact. That was one thing that killed me with Fantastic Four. They didn't acknowledge Spider Man or the Daredevil. All in all, Iron Man, rule. Definitely worth a repeat visit to the multiplex, even just to pick up on the subtle cues thrown here and there. Can't wait to see Tony Stark in The Incredible Hulk next month, and more importantly, that eventual Avengers movie.
2: Yeah. Hermit, uh, on the forum said, love the movie, didn't think about the S.H.I.E.L.D. thing, the entire movie, I think it was, and he uh, says that maybe he was dropped on the head, but (laughs) probably not. And uh, didn't wait for the credits to be over, now I have to go see the movie
0: again, lucky it's good. One of my favorite posters, a man named Dave K., who in my mind is always pronounced Davek.
2: That's what uh, I I thought it
0: was. I thought so too, but it's apparently Dave (laughs) K., I think Either way, uh, said, now, if only the Tony Stark that I saw on the big screen was actually the Tony Stark portrayed in the Marvel Universe, to which I say, oh, please, yes, yes, I agree greatly. Excellent movie, afraid that it will rally the powers that be in a misguided direction.
1: Well, the good thing about Probably that, regarding- the only thing that I would say about that is that Marvel now has control of these. They don't have control over Spider-Man because that's split up with Sony. Mm-hmm. They don't have control over Daredevil. They don't have control over Elektra. They don't have control over the X-Men franchise. Because that's twentieth century Fox. This is something that's all their own, so they can keep it close to the chest, and I think do some some really good things with it. So that's you know, I don't think they're going to go too overboard with it. Now I could be wrong, but you know I don't think it's going to happen. Now Robbie and he has
0: been wrong before. Well, that's yes,
1: that's true, but (laughs) rarely. I think the last time was in nineteen eighty (laughs) seven. Robbie B, or I'm sorry, Robbie Reed from Dial B for Blog uh, commented on the site, Iron Man was very long and very boring and not for kids. Not a very good movie, in my opinion. Someone had to say it.
2: Um. And Devil Bob kind of uh, replied to that. My nine-year-old son was fine with the movie. The action scenes were pa- were placed well enough that it didn't totally bore him with an actual uh, story. Granted, the whole transformation from uncaring Bon Vivant to, well, use Tony Stark's words, superhero is truncated to fit in the allotted time. If you want a good long-out drama, watch Pride and Prejudice, you'll get a <laughs> lifetime's worth. Um, the pro- <laughs> The uh, post-credit clip was fantastic, if only we could, he could make an appearance in the Hulk. And I think that's been said that... Uh, yeah, you'll want to go
1: see the Hulk, because he yeah. does make an appearance there.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Carl said that he thought the movie was great, uh, did have its slow points, and I thought the reveal about Tony's kidnapping was a bit cliched. However, it really nailed the character... You've got to have the scenes of him working on the suit, which I agree with. That mm-hmm. is the key to Iron Man, He's the hero who's always improving his powers. I even like the part about him not being sentimental. This is the guy who's in the habit of rebuilding the old armors. Most of all, the thing that I agree with, because you know I give the trailers four out of five stars. <laughs> um, he likes that they he liked that they kept the CGI to a minimum with that Mark One armor, the the Buick Regal, as yeah. I like to refer to it, armor. It came off very clunky, very metallic as it should. Um, Carl also thought that it was interesting that they didn't go with the recovering alcoholic aspect in the movie. Mm-hmm. But it's still there, and he says he sees no problem with it being addressed in a later film. And I'm thinking, you know, I agree with that as well. Somewhere down the line, Iron Man 3, he's Iron Man 3, demon in a bottle. You well, know, that would be up.
1: cool. And, of course, you've got to get Rhodey into the suit at some point. Mm-hmm. And they're signed on exactly. for a three-picture deal. So it's it's going to happen at some point. And speaking of three-picture deal... Something I'm glad that they've announced, uh, they announced it Monday at the Marvel uh, Quarterly um, um, Stock, daily, whatever it is that they do. Uh, they did announce that Iron Man 2, Electric Boogaloo, uh, would open in theaters <laughs> April 30th, 2010. Now, we've got a couple Mark movies. calendars. We do have a couple movies before that. We've got X-Men Origins this Christmas, uh, Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And then next spring is, uh, what is it, in 2009- Oh, man. I wish I, I had it down. I've got it up there on the Majorspoilers.com website, but there's another movie that's coming out. Um, Thor? No, that comes out after uh, Iron Man Spider-Man 2. the Musical? Yeah, Spider-Man the Musical. Oh, my God. What are they thinking? They still have plans to do that. So do mark your calendars. <laughs> April 30th, 2010, another kick off the summer movie. Iron Man 2. A couple other things that you guys can help us out on, head over to the Major Spoilers Forum. Uh, You can find a link to it on the front page of Majorspoilers.com and go into the trade paperback section. We still have that uh, poll up where we want you to pick from our list of the top 30 trades, which one is your favorite, and then we're going to rank them from best to worst up on the website. You can certainly do that. And depending on when you're getting this podcast, you will want to head over to Nerdtacular.com Scott Johnson let me know today that the tickets, which will go very fast, I think there's only 400 of them, or less than 400, uh, are going to be going up. The registration starts Wednesday, uh, May 7th, so you'll want to get over there if you want those free tickets to see The Dark Knight.
0: Uh, Also, those of us here at Major Spoilers, uh, various and sundry, would like to thank everyone who helped us with the Major Spoilers Hero Drive. Oh, yeah. The whole... the whole idea behind the drive was to bring in the the listeners and pay for every listener that we snagged during the month of April. Uh, over the last five weeks, I believe our listenership has risen to the point where we're now donating $250 to the Hero Initiative. Excellent.
2: And uh, this money does go to comic creators, uh, mostly to pay medical bills or things that come up. You know, these guys are freelancers. Mm-hmm. And this is, that you know, they don't have, a lot of the time they don't have health insurance and stuff. And um, it's it's... They brought us years of entertainment, and this is so they can have their own sort of golden age. That's right. And thank you, everybody,
1: $250. I'll be sending that payment to the Hero Initiative tomorrow. But once again, thanks for helping out with our first Major Spoilers podcast campaign. Keep listening to the show. Tell your friends because you never know how the number of people listening to this show can help those in need in the future.
2: All right, you guys want to you guys want to do some reviews? Yes, let's get to reviews! some more reviews. That's all this shows become. A bunch of reviews. We got Movies, some.
1: comics, trade paperbacks.
2: We got we got some I got a short review. Okay. Um And
0: once you're done with that, I'll be reviewing your review. Oh, <laughs> man. And then I'll
2: review your review of the review. The thing I hated the most about it was how short it was. No no character build anyway. Um <laughs> hyperkinetic number one i believe by image comics yeah it's coming out in a few weeks i think yeah yeah. um don't don't have much to say about it i i didn't like it all that much uh the the basic premises is a is a bunch of hot girls in a spaceship and they're bounty hunters what's not to like and that's that's how i approached it i was like man this is gonna be great but you know, I there were a lot of things I didn't like about it. I sat down and I thought about it, and it a lot of this, a lot of what what the book is about is just kind of coolness for coolness' sake. Yeah, they have a lot of pop culture references. The characters kind of actually like reverse their characteristics every once in a while. Oh, really? Just for the sake of a punchline. Mm. Um, none of the action needed to happen. Uh, it, it's all just kind of. Uh, sideways to what little plot there is, um, they end up in this planet full of like uh, transforming saber-toothed tigers, and then promptly leave it, and you know things like wow. that. Wow, um, it's just you know, I just the, the, and that's about it. That's my review of it. The Two art stars. was
1: pretty good or not good. <laughs> the or? art,
2: the art is it's good. kind of funky.
1: I, I, I mean, it's kind of
2: and that's it's hard uh, to describe. It's very it's f- it's very flowing. Just sharp lines um, the character's faces kind of extend and contract, and it's obvious that it's on purpose I mean this, right. it's not that the artist isn't good that ca ka- and but to a certain extent that's kind of the same thing it's like am i supposed is this character supposed to be sexy cuz in this panel she's shouting and her mouth is so huge that there can be nothing attractive about her and then on the <laughs> next panel you know she's back to sort of regular proportions and then in another panel like her eyes are all weird cuz ah. she's looking at something so it's like so are
1: they trying to go for like the manga anime they they kind type of are stuff? and
2: you know right down to the part where um sometimes you see characters and their hair is over their face yeah. but you can still see their eye through it oh, that's yeah, like yeah. a classic anime thing yeah yeah
1: so two out of five
2: yeah two out of five all right
1: this week I picked up, and it comes out on on uh, stores this week. Uh, foundation number no. five from Boom Studios. Uh, as expected, the build up the foundation attempted to deliver in a big bang sort of way. I'm not sure it did in the closing pages, but it was still a very fun read from this uh, for this five issue miniseries. Now, last time when we talked about uh, the Foundation, uh, Valentine, our hero, discovered that uh, he and his team were set up by some mysterious force, and he was able to battle his way out of a tight spot. Um essentially he's the only survivor of the Field Unit team. There was an attack on the Foundation's headquarters in uh, Fairfax wherever that was. Uh but rather than the water supply being poisoned, it was the guy that recruited him into the Foundation. His last name is Waters. Wah, wah, wah. Mm. And he's been metaphorically poisoned in the sense that uh there's this other group of scientifically minded people that are doing their own predictions based on pop culture, current trends, and different things. And they're predicting the future, and this water guy believes in them more than he does Nostradamus's quatrain. So as he's leaving, he's mm. trying to go out with a bang at the company, so to speak. Uh, the story's a little bit sketchy on how Valentine finds where Waters is at. He's actually at a convention where um, – the vice president and the secretary of defense are about to give a public speech, and, and Valentine, ever the spy, concludes that uh, Waters has has put something under the stage that will kill everybody in the arena. Um, he does a few really quick disguise changes. He almost stops the scheme, except Waters outpredicts him. He gets captured. He gets rescued. Uh, the The story wraps up very quickly the The diffusion of the bomb scene was really, really funny, uh, but after that it's just like bomb okay, that's the end my he he essentially says, "I told you this was my last mission that's it, and you see him walk off essentially into the sunset hmm. um what's good, I like the back and forth storytelling that they did between Valentine and what waters was doing um it does show that Valentine isn't infallible he does get caught Uh, his real boss comes to his rescue she survives the blast Uh, the fusing of the bomb is just funny and I don't want to give away how they do it but it is it is just (laughs) it's classic and at the point I was like okay they are making a point about these type of movies Mm -hmm. and how they're always trying to defuse the bomb Uh, and then there's always the possibility that we'll see a foundation sequel now Mm -hmm. the things that I don't like is that there were some major plot holes that make the story very jumpy from issue to issue Even within the issue, and I think Brian mentioned that before when he was on the podcast, and even I think reading the five issues back to back, I think there's going to be enough jumps to cause people to scratch their heads. Also not a big fan of the art. It has grown on me. I can't understand it, but at the same time, if you're going to be drawing a bunch of men fighting it out, it would be nice to know who's the hero and who's the villain, so if somebody gets shot... You're not like, oh my God, did Valentine just get shot? Oh wait, now he's talking. Oh, what, what's you know going on? So that was the problem that I had with the art. But overall, I have no doubt that the foundation is going to be turned into a major motion picture. Mm-hmm. I just see it happening, and with a few tweaks here and there, I think that this was going to be the perfect combo of Lethal Weapon and the X Files. I'm going to give this final issue two out of five stars. I'm going to give the entire series three out of five stars. Mm. Uh, because I think there's enough story to carry it through, and enough interest, and enough. I think there's just things that can't be done in a, in a five-issue miniseries that you could do in something much longer and ongoing. And so maybe this will be an ongoing series in the future. So the Foundation Number Five out this week from Boom Studios. Matthew, you've been diligently working these last couple of days, so we're, <laughs> it's it's now by the time people hear this Wednesday, and we still haven't yeah. seen a Hero History appear on the uh, on the website.
0: And there's there's a good reason for that, and that is uh, I I'm sick. Really, Aww, I am. We understand. Uh, well, and I, you know, I, I spend every week diligently going through 50 years of Legion comics because of love, <laughs> love for the fans and love for spoilers dot com. And also, you know, don't forget Gatekeeper Hobbies, Huntune, Engage, Topeka. But the uh, this weekend just got away from me. Well, I've you been, did you know, have I've been a dealing big... with some things.
1: You did have that big uh, free comic book day thing going on over the weekend.
0: Exactly. How did we, that? We did very well with that.
1: Yeah, did things go well? Did you give away all your comics?
0: Very much so. Uh, we actually gave away some of last year's comics and the few remaining comics that we had from the year before. Excellent. Uh, it was a very successful event. Um, in terms of just bringing people in, I think we probably did two to three times the regular traffic. The thing that I'd like to see is those people coming back. So hopefully we can keep the people interested with the Iron Man movie, with the Hulk movie, with Dark Knight coming out. I think we may be able to get some of the casual, you know, readers back in the store, which is always plus for me. Excellent. You know, bolster up the industry. Excellent. Um, and there's also the fact that you know I've been I've been reading the Legion comics and and realizing things that I had not realized about this character, and it got me sidetracked to the point where I started doing my uh, my image uh, picking. And I got sidetracked reading a book, and I lost an hour there. And then I, I'd go and try and pick another image, and then Block would show up, and I'd be like, oh, i got to keep reading because it's Block. Right.
1: And well, that's one thing that I think people don't realize is that it's not just all this is in your head. You're still doing a lot of research on these characters, just like we had to do this research earlier today for these origin stories of, of Iron Man. You know, we had to go back yeah. and dig through some old issues, and I had to watch this DVD again, uh, which yeah. eh, I'm not going to really recommend. But you mm-hmm. know, to find that information, so it does take time. And so I totally understand when Matthew's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I don't have the 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 latest hero history <laughs> done." And then I say, "Shame on you!" But that's okay. Well, it's the, understandable. The hero
0: history also puts a strain on my marriage in that I have my legion collection in the living room where I write. uh oh So that's uh. that's two long boxes worth of comics and of course some of these comics are, you know, older than all four of us put together. There's no, only three of us. Only but that's three neither of us. here nor there. But in in any case, you know, there's the occasional moment where Molly wants to play with Daddy's comic books and you know. <laughs> yeah. So real life intrudes and for that I apologize. Oh, but on no the problem. plus side, It's going to be an awesome one. It took me forever to do the main image this time just because I wanted to do the character justice. Now, just
1: give us a quick overview of who is this white witch. Is she a bad
0: person? The white witch started out as a villain. Really? Turned out that she had an unrevealed connection to an existing Legionnaire who we've profiled previously. Ended up joining the team in a very, very high-profile point. Is this Uh, all still in the
1: Silver Age kind of stuff? Uh
0: yeah, she is one who actually started in the Silver Age in adventure comics, okay. uh, disappeared for a few years, returned during what we refer to as the Giffen-Levitz period in this late 70s, early 80s, stayed through the Legion's, to me, most successful period, creativitally, creativitally, creatively, creatively, creatively. Through the Volume 3 and Volume 4 Legions and has, in fact, recently made reappearances in the 3-boot Legion as well. So you can go back and look for those. Hopefully, I'll have that up either tonight or tomorrow or the next day or uh, at some point. And we'll be here every night until the senseless carnage ends. Now, Thank
1: I got you. a question. What's the deal with her with her eyebrows or these antennas? She got eye- eyebrows or antennas?
0: Nah.
1: She has antenna. I'm not uh, telling you how. Now but wait, Read then how the can she be history. How can she be related to somebody else that you've already profiled on the Hero History? If No she- Chameleon Boy has antenna. Oh, oh well there you mm. go. Oh, so it's ah, the Prolacticans. Ma- yeah. So be, the two, two okay. ah, uh, so be on the lookout. Two words for you. Okay. Magic. Ah, I see. So be on the lookout for the White Witch Hero History. It's coming this week up on majorspoilers.com.
0: And looking also coming up this week, speaking of weeks, our question of the week this week came from my feverish mind this morning. A lot of times in the history of the Fantastic Four, you have to have four members, and one of the members is no longer there. Sue had a baby. Ben lost his powers. Reed flipped out. Johnny had a girlfriend. So the question came to me, of all the stand-ins who've been members of the Fantastic Four, who is your favorite Fantastic Four stand-in? I chose the five, well... Quite frankly, the five oldest ones, because I'm old. Uh, The first, of course, was Crystal, who replaced uh, Sue Richards.
1: And she's an Inhuman. After that
0: was, correct, Crystal of the Inhumans. She's uh, Black Bolt's cousin, sister, cousin, uncle, something. Okay. The Inhumans are very inbred, like the British royal family. (laughs) uh, Chronologically, after her, of course, was Luke Cage, Power Man, Sweet Christmas. Of course, She-Hulk had a notable and long run as a stand-in for The Thing. When The Thing returned, uh, Reed and Sue left, and Ms. Marvel, the second Ms. Marvel, Sharon Ventura, joined the team. And at one point when the book wasn't really all that terribly good and I stopped reading it, Scott Lang, the Ant-Man, was also a member of the Fantastic Four when Reed was presumed dead.
1: And there's been some so, um, other people too like Spider-Man has been on mm-hmm. Wolverine has right. been on well, there was uh, that, Black Panther and and Storm have was, been on There was right. that
2: thing where uh they had the Fantastic 4 where Wolverine, Ghost Rider, Spider-Man <laughs> and one other guy like right. they they just like they were like okay these are the Fantastic 4 for a while I, right I, which I thought was great. I thought the the characters made a great team Where I was like all right eventually I want to see the original So it's like Fantastic the Mini Four Avengers back. or something. Yeah, it was
0: like kind of. it was kind of a Kind of a dry run for that Marvel's Greatest Heroes thing that they're doing now in New Avengers. They oh, grabbed okay. whoever was most popular. It was the Hulk, She... Or not the Hulk and the She-Hulk. The Hulk, Ghost Rider, uh, the Wolverine, and Spider-Man. Yeah. And I think it was
2: like mister Fixit Hulk. So it was all like... The, Smart brainy, the, the bunch like the meanest bunch of guys were the <laughs> Fantastic Spider-Man. Four, four and Spider Man. Yeah, that's true. So we do
1: have a category. It's up on the Major Spoilers website right now uh, <laughs> that you can vote. So there is an other category if you would have rather seen Spidey or Wolverine or Black Panther or Storm or any of those other people on there. But we do <laughs> have Crystal She Hulk, Luke Cage, Miss Marvel, and Ant Man, and we got even little pictures to go along with it to help you decide on your voting. <laughs> I'm gonna go with She Hulk because I think she looks pretty hot in that fantastic four costume
2: she totally does go. but i don't see how anybody would not go with luke cage because he is simultaneously totally cool and awesomely ridiculous just yeah. and and exists in that quantum uncertainty of should i really like this character and yet
0: i manage to like him every time I totally agree with Rodrigo. Yellow shirt rules all. Uh, Luke Cage, Power Man, to me, is not only the greatest member of the Fantastic Four, but perhaps Marvel's greatest achievement in that he started out as kind of a knockoff of Black Belt Jones and Shaft, and became such a a layered and entertaining character that, you know, now he's a father and a husband, and he's leading the new Avengers. And it's one of those things where you cannot love, cannot not love Luke Cage. And so Luke Cage, to me, is the best stand-in, possibly the best Fantastic Four member, so...
1: One of the things that I'm trying to do is making sure that the major spoilers poll gets up before we actually record uh, the weekly show, so that we have some early returns for mm. you to check out. We do have some early returns, and this is how it's shaking out right now on the website. Uh, she Hulk is in first place, uh, Luke Cage number two, other at number three, Miss <laughs> uh, Marvel at number four, uh, Crystal at five, and Ant Man.
2: I think with zero votes so far, he's got five percent of the votes.
1: Five percent of the votes.
2: If you do, no love for the Ant Man. If you do hit other, then post a comment saying who that other is. Yeah, Luke Cage has
1: fifteen percent of the vote right now. So you go over to the site, vote for it, talk it out in the comments section. Uh, We really appreciate all the feedback that people give onto the website. So our trade paperback review this week. Is one that I had not read. I had not read these in the original run, and so Rodrigo kept trying to push these on me for the last couple of weeks. I'm finally like, okay, I'll sit down <laughs> I'm and like, read. Steven, this is
2: the only thing DC ever produced that I like.
1: It's JLA The Obsidian Age. Uh, that, it's a two book set. Uh, During the events of Superman, our worlds at war, Aquaman and the people of Atlantis went missing in the time stream. Picking up where that story leaves off, the JLA discovers that Aquaman and his people are stranded 3,000 years in the past. Superman and crew head back into the past to rescue their missing teammate. Where to begin? Rodrigo, why don't you just kind of run us through some things? I wrote down a whole bunch of notes as I was reading it. And this is really cool because it was the first time that I read a lot Mm -hmm. of this. And I was just like, "Oh, cool! Check that out." Or "Ooh, I didn't care for that." But kind of run us through some of the the big the- talking points of this issue.
2: Well, the um, the they're trying to figure out what happened to Aquaman. The Justice League gets attacked by these two guys. Um, one of them is like a big Native American shaman, and the other one's like this Mesoamerican suit of armor. I was going
1: to say it's the Mesoamerican version of Iron Man. It kind
2: of is, yeah. Um, And they just get – the Justice League just gets pwned by these guys.
1: And which I thought was really kind of cool because it's like uh, the whole attack is is really well planned out. Mm -hmm. And it's to the point where it's almost like someone's anticipating their every move and Batman even knows it. And I thought there were some great moments in – especially in this first or second issue with Batman where – batman realizes it's set up and they're like well how how do you know and he goes a real bat dickness moment where he goes that's what i would have done
2: yeah and i'm just like oh yep. batman snap well, and, and and really batman pulls it out a lot of the times uh the uh manitou raven who is la- later revealed to be the name of the shaman puts, right puts a sleep spell on them and just conks all of them out yeah and batman having the strongest willpower of any man on earth kind of shakes it off
1: which i thought uh, was interesting later on because he's the one that is the one that succumbs to, I guess, the to, time to streams time travel, really, yeah. it's
2: the physical strain of it, because right. it doesn't have any actual powers. Right, right,
1: right. And what I really like is the is the Green Lantern uh, Kyle Rayner Ion in this in this mm-hmm. case. Um, he's just having these reoccurring dreams that are leading up to this, and he knows that somehow he's uh, connected with this Manitou character. Mm-hmm. And I got to ask, isn't this the same? I, well, maybe I should talk about it. We'll come back to Manitou yeah, we'll come in a back moment because. Let's see. I thought that when they escape was pretty cool, you know, turning themselves the leaves. And then uh, this Manitou and the Inca, Inca Iron Man. Tezumak. Yeah. Uh, Tezumak, Yeah, they try to travel back in time, travel to where they came from. And they realize, oh, we need to go to Atlantis to do this. Mm-hmm. And Atlantis is, above, Atlantis is above ground over the Atlantic Rift. And it's decayed. And it looks like it's been abandoned and shattered. And they escape. And the JLA arrives and is like, why is Atlantis above ground? Mm -hmm. Why is it, what's going on? And so the uh, superpowers decide to gather all the magic people to find out, you know, is there a clue to where, uh, what happened to to Aquaman and and the rest of the people of Atlantis? And they kind of do discover that. Um,
2: The Justice League ends up going back in time to figure out what happened, at which point everything goes to hell.
1: Now, I got a couple questions because, first of all, I don't, know who a lot of these characters are like Manitou didn't know who he was and Mm -hmm. of course I know who Plastic Man everybody that goes back in time we've got Plastic Man Iron Ion uh, Flash Superman Black Shield Superman by the way which I kind of dig on that Wonder Woman Batman did I say Plastic Man Mm -hmm. okay so it's those six there should be seven who am I missing Martian Manhunter. John oh, Martian, Jones, the Martian yeah, yeah. Manhunter. Everybody forgets John Jones. No uh, wonder they're going to kill well, him in he does Final turn Crisis. invisible a lot. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Matthew, do you have any, any questions? I guess what I'm, I'm leading up to is, I know who all those characters are, but there's some other ones that show up like, you know, who's this right. uh, Garth guy? Who's this new Aquaman they keep referring to? And it's like, <laughs> oh, duh, that's
0: Aqualad. That's who this mm-hmm. is. Right. As Tempest, he actually uh, gained some sort of mystical powers uh, right around that Time frame, and I think there was also an appearance, um, maybe not of Dolphin, who was, I believe, his wife or Aquaman's ex girlfriend, or I don't know. Mm.
1: But <laughs> well,
0: in fact, they gather, up, s- I-
1: they gather up all the uh, magical beings in the DC universe. I mean, you see mm-hmm. Blue Devil, you see Dr. Fate, you see Zatanna, I think you see Phantom Strangers, right. Phantom Strangers there, you know, everybody's right. there, and they're trying to gather this energy using the spell, I guess. that... Uh, Aquaman, I guess, taught Garth mm-hmm. to say, which as is later revealed that Aquaman knew that if there was ever a point that um,
2: where Atlantis, Atlantis was, just was gonna in, get. Yeah,
1: in trouble or was going to fall, that they could travel back in time to this point that was called the Golden Age of Atlantis. They're going to do this. Now, there was this reference to the Imperix Probe or mm. Empirix c- Probe and um, that's something, that's a Legion of Superheroes villain, isn't it? Matthew, do you Empiriax, know? Imperiex?
0: yeah. Imperiex started out as the villain of the uh, Our World at War crossover, where Aquaman ah, okay. initially was thought to be dead. Okay. And then they used him for the second season of the Legion of Superheroes cartoon. So there's so no he connection. So
1: there. But there's no connection, there, really, between comic book Legion of Superheroes
0: and the... Imperiax. And this... The same sort of background. I believe he comes from the far future, but there's no real tie in that he never fought the Legion in the comic side. Oh, okay. Uh, question: What happened to Sub Diego? Where is this in
1: this whole story?
0: That or, would have been after this, I believe. Oh, okay. Because I, this story was from '93, and I believe Sub Diego came '95, '96. Oh, okay. Right? All right. Well, see, that was or a 2003. question. Two thousand three. That me. was a
1: question that I had because every you know San Diego sunk into the ocean, and everybody turned into water breathers, and mm-hmm. they called it Sub Diego. I really like Plastic Man in in this series. I mean, he's always this jokester but even when he's joking he's trying to be very serious about stuff especially about time travel which is the same thing that everybody always complains about time travel uh, shouldn't we be doing this aren't we going to disrupt the time stream you know what's going on so i thought that was very interesting um so they go back into time and well, it, all think, shit breaks loose i
2: think i think most importantly Batman is like okay something's gone wrong here really, you know, everybody's like, go forward, no, wait, no, wait, no. Yeah, and then some jumping problem. in, yeah. and Batman's like, activate Justice League Protocol 532, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yep. um, all of these spheres start flying out and start recruiting a new Justice League. And so, with very right.
1: dire consequences, because, you know, once these new League members reach the Watchtower, it's a Batman recording or virtual reality Batman saying, if you're watching this, it means mm-hmm. we're dead, and you guys have to carry on the mission, and it's up to you, and... And yeah. who who were the replacement JLA? Um, we had this, was, Nightwing as the leader, Ollie right. Green Green Arrow, um right. Who who is the girl. Hawk girl, and who's this other girl, the, the feel good, the fuzzy Faith. warm? Faith? Faith. Okay. Is she a this character was that was, first appearance? It is actually. Okay, have we seen her elsewhere in, in DCU?
0: She stayed in Justice League until John Byrne was writing it and then went to the Doom Patrol that Byrne did and then rolled off the end of the pier and never to be seen again.
1: Okay, so mm-hmm. we've got her in there.
0: Um Lord what blood what's his first Oh, name? oh yeah, uh,
1: Jason Blood. Jason oh Jason man, blood. I love yeah. Jason
2: Blood. He he's really good. I'm usually not a big fan of magic users, but the way that he's written in here yeah. is just fantastic. Yeah. And Zatanna. The- no, no, Satana. Oh, she's not in this. Okay. Satana is leading the field unit that's, okay, that's investigating right. Atlantis. And
1: so who else is on this JLA? There's um, got to be two more. Oh, the Adam? Major, major Disaster. Oh, Major
2: Disaster. You know what, guys? I As I major was reading disaster. this...
1: This is, the re- this is the thing that Major Disaster is the character that gave me the idea for naming the website Major Spoilers. Nice, Because I always think of Major Disaster as this guy in this army hat, you know, reading in the series I'm like, oh yeah, Major <laughs> Disaster, what a cool name because you can take that as two different ways. Yeah. And so as I'm coming up with oh, well what would be a cool name for the website, and I'm thinking, well everybody's always wanting to know Major Spoilers, and you could think of that as a character like Major Disaster mm-hmm. or you could think of it yep. as Major Spoilers in the thing. So yeah, Major mm-hmm. Disaster and what's his power? He has the power to do anything. Or well, he can destroy He has the anything. power to
0: create disasters with yeah. his brain. Well, there's
1: this there's this point later on where uh, the the big bad says you don't know how powerful this person is, and there's even a point where Major Disaster says, "I've got three asteroids in orbit, ready to come crashing down. Just give me the word." And so, but well, also
2: a great moment where they're in Tokyo, and after the Justice League goes back all the water in the world basically disappears the whole world's in drought earthquakes fires all over the place and the new justice league is running oh, around trying to forgot, fix it or you know we forgot firestorm he's also firestorm in team. yeah
1: and the the atom as well yeah we mentioned him yeah
2: um so major disaster is in Tokyo and they're trying to save all these people in the middle of an earthquake and he's like man guys i know how to start earthquakes i don't know how to stop them and the atom i think it's the atom just kind of grabs them and is like then why are you here yeah yeah and you know the earthquake just stops yeah
1: and he's just really impressed that he can do it so i mean even in the short runs with these justice league substitute heroes um you can tell that even with major disaster the people are trying to change even the atom is is trying to figure out but The major thing is they haven't given up hope, and even though Nightwing has been told or knows that he shouldn't be focusing on a rescue attempt of the heroes lost in the time stream, he can't give that up. And then Zatanna uncovers something on Atlantis, some big hand reaching out of the ground and, you know, essentially controlling her her like a puppet. puppet. Yeah. Um, I got one question, though, before we get into that. I'm, why why does the world need the JLA? Because it's always like, where's the JLA? Where's the JLA? And they're all talking about, isn't that why they created Justice League International? Isn't this why the Chinese government created their own uh, Force of Ten or whatever that they they were called in '52? Um, so I, you know that's that's my thing.
2: I think I think yeah. in you know in the DC universe, obviously if you're going to have superheroes. You know, from a writer's standpoint, you need for the world to constantly yeah, that's be true. in horrible peril and without the JLA the world is always in constant peril and that's you know? and Starro everything just showing goes up and controlling people everything
1: goes to hell quickly when the JLA it's not even one week later and you've got these earthquakes and fires and you've got these disasters going off left and right um, I think there's some nice moments leading up to the big I guess book two event mm-hmm. and that's yeah, where Faith is talking to Nightwing and says you know when people are around me people feel good and and they just tell me things that they probably wouldn't. And she assumes that Nightwing is Batman's son. And um, she says that Batman told her one time, what I do to people, even when the long-term results are positive, I'm not proud about it at all. But Nightwing, he's the one that I'm I'm really proud of. He was yeah. the best thing that I've ever done.
0: Yeah. And those character moments are really, to me, the best part of the story. That one is one that, that really sticks with me, that just the sheer surprise and 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 half joy on nightwing's face and it's beautifully drawn when faith tells him that you know he, your father was proud of you yeah but there's yeah. also the, the moment that rodrigo mentioned with adam and major major disaster the background to that from the old guy perspective major disaster was an adam villain in the silver the silver age oh. so throughout ah. this throughout this the the tension between them is there for a reason and I'm not sure where Volume 1 ends, because again, I don't have the trade paperback, yeah, you I read have the, the issues. Run. Yeah. But there's there's scenes that come on later where the Adam and Major disaster have to come to terms with the fact that they've been fighting each other for you know, literally years, and now they have to trust each other. Yeah. And those trust issues have to come out of the character stuff, with Faith, with Nightwing, even the moment where... Hawk Girl comes up. Green Arrow tries to hit on her. No, yeah, Faith. Great. Green Arrow yeah. tries to hit on yeah. Faith. And Then Hawk Girl walks by and says, "Oh, did I tell you about Black Canary?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's some. Yeah, there are
1: some great moments. And essentially, it ends with we know that the heroes are back in uh, 1000 BC on the old Atlantis, and for some reason it's above ground, and they discover this pool of water where in the future. Uh, or an Aquaman has scratched the words JLA in this pool, so they all kind of sneak into the city uh, to see what's going on, and it turns out that Aquaman has been turned into water, and he is this reflecting pool, and he has just enough energy to kind of form, but he just can't really communicate. He's almost like Odin, or, or not Odin, um, Poseidon, uh, Poseidon yeah. uh, rising from the sea in some of those scenes, and it's very cool when you see him just full bodied
2: rising in, from the ocean. And and you know they go back to the future, and you discover that Manitou Raven and Tezumak are part of what they call the league which is a collection of heroes from the ancient world who have come together to fight the hydra which i i got to say you didn't it, like them? i
1: didn't like because this is why i don't know why when you create uh supervillains that they have to be mirror images of the current league, because here you have this alien that fell from the sky that was picked up by these Hebrew people, and so he's like this Jewish Superman, which is a kind of nice maybe nod to yeah, Siegel to and the, Schuster. Yeah. Uh, you've got an Amazon uh, warrior knockoff. Uh, you've got the mm-hmm. Whaler who's got Green Lantern powers. You've got—I don't know which one Batman is. Do you think he's the? Well, and, he's and the I,
2: I think Tezumel. That or, I, I maybe, but I don't think the. I think there seems are that some analogs there. Right. But um, I think it's great. Um, Ramakan, who is a character who was introduced, who's been introduced a few times, right? You know, apparently there has always been a, a Ramakan who has total control over the earth of his native. Uh, Where is it from? Like Jaranpur or yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, and adding him, I think, was a great idea because he's a character that pops up every once in a while, um, and then you know the ringleader of this whole thing, who's Ganymede or Ganymede, something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I
1: I mean I didn't have a problem with that. them being seven you know uh, heroes of the time that are trying to bring down the Justice League. I just thought that it's a mirror image and we've mm. already seen that a million times before. Well, Give us something else.
0: See, my thinking on that was um, – one of the things that's bothering me right now is uh, you'll see Justice League analogs with those seven archetypes everywhere. They have one in The Boys. They have one in Planetary. They had one in, let's just say, every book Warren Ellis has ever written. <laughs> and there comes a point where you're just like, all right, I get the point, and I kind of agree with you on, you know, yes, it's one thing to say, well, these, you know, the seven members of the League are the greatest and the best. They're the archetypical ones, and people will, you know, attempt to emulate them, and they're going to recur throughout time because they're just that good. But then they give us, you know, the the Mirror League, or it, it's kind of like you can't have a hero without – you can't have Spider-Man without Venom. You can't have Superman without Bizarro. True. Well, Yes. You actually can. Yeah. It's called being a superhero. Right. But, you know, that. to me, that was the only complaint, the only real complaint I had, and it was very minor, aside from the fact that Wonder Woman, under the art of Doug Monkey Goes from hot to scary in, like, 2.3 seconds hmm. and Well, back. you know, there
1: are some points in the story where she actually looks pretty good, like, I think, at the beginning. And I don't know if they changed artists halfway through the arc or something. Uh, maybe that's the case. But, yeah, there were some points where she looked, I thought, nice. And other points I would agree with you. Maybe not so much. Uh, so we jump back into the, to the present. And Satana discovers something on Atlantis uh, that just shocks everybody. And it's the skeleton of Superman... With this big thing through him. And this causes the Justice League to go back to Atlantis to, to investigate. And they decide that uh, when they get there, it's revealed that there's this big... What, what's it called? Uh, what, what I mean, they, we know who it is later on. This the Quagmire, Yeah, she's a quagmire that, yeah. that is able to suck in people and use their powers. And she sucked in Zatanna, and she sucked in some other powers. And they pretty much realize, oh, wait a minute. This is not good if uh you know if if this being is growing more and more powerful, and this is the reason she 's sucking up all the water on the planet and she 's telling uh the world that they have to bow down before her she 's going to you know, cause them to die, and the heroes realize only when the ghost of green lantern or or Ion appears and says, "Follow me," that they realize that there 's still a chance to stop her, and they go into this cave and uh there's Manitou ancient ancient guy just saying hey i've got i'm here to help you guys i've realized the error of my ways and then we flash back to the past mm-hmm. and we see where the justice league is defeated and we see this point where Manitou rips out the heart of of Kyle Rayner and then we're then we're told oh they died for a reason and Kyle gave up his heart for a reason and so there's this big connection between Uh, Ion and Manitou in the story of it's really Manitou and Kyle Rayner working together that keep the spirit of the Justice League alive and essentially they're ghosts
2: yeah so at the end you get new Justice League um, ghost Justice League uh, fighting the uh, quagmire monster
1: which turns out to be uh, Ganymede who when uh, Aquaman and the Atlanteans traveled back into the past. He thought that they were going back to a golden age. But this was really
2: all a kind of a trap, a was, rewritten it history. It was revisionist history. Yeah. And actually. A I retcon. Yeah, I think that's the title of one of the books is Revisionist History. Yeah,
1: and and they go back there and Ganymede essentially cons everybody. And she turns Aquaman into this pool of water, and she forces the Atlanteans to be slaves under the water. She is the one that raised Atlantis up above the earth use, or above the water using magic, and turned all the Atlanteans into uh, air breathers instead of water breathers because she feels that they should take over the earth. Mm-hmm. And then it's later revealed that she is the Quagmire and is sucking in all these people's and, powers. And
2: she structured the the Ancient League to come together. She sent visions to Ramakhan who we think is the author of the league, right? But I think she's the one who sent them to him so that she could in turn betray them, absorb their powers, take over the world.
1: And so we flash forward to the present again, which I didn't like the whole jumping (laughs) back and forth. That was almost, the storytelling almost was too much at times for that. But we flash back to the present and uh, Manitou and Kyle Rayner's heart Bring forth the ghosts of the Justice League. So you've got Ghost Batman and Flash and all these people fighting the Quagmire.
2: The best thing about it, I think, is the way they're drawn because you could just have them all as the same type of ghost, right? But Batman is just a cow. Yes, the Flash is like a skeleton without any legs, or just like energy uh, jumping out there. Wonder Woman just looks like a broken down statue because you know she's Mm -hmm. the princess made of clay, made of clay. And you know you get to see what a Martian and. Kryptonian zombies look like yeah, yeah. basically, and
1: it's really cool. And the idea was that the Quagmire can only fight living beings; they mm-hmm. can't fight anything dead. And so here, the dead Justice League are actually kind of winning and uh, getting the. And in fact, at one point, uh, the Quagmire absorbed Jason Blood, and it wasn't until at the very precise moment that he released Etrigan who comes out and starts battling the quagmire, and it's uh, Faith who has to keep Etrigan under control. Uh, but then the quagmire's like, okay, fine, you think that I can't fight dead beings? I'll fix that. Claps her hands, and the dead Justice League come back to life in this very sticky kind of very cool panel where mm-hmm. they're coming back to life. And so in a sense, they've died and were reborn, it, and it kind of gets away from the time travel, which I thought was really great.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. But it's actually the actions of the people in the past that end up helping defeat um, the, quagmire. the quagmire. Now, there's, a, yeah. I guess, a, a, another problem that I have. As they realize they're defeating it, one thing that the atom has pointed out through the whole story is that the sucking up of the water all gathering towards Atlantis has caused the Earth to wobble off its rotation. And if they don't fix it, it's going to spin off into the sun. Well, as they are reborn... Manitou has somehow given them, given their powers or enhanced their powers uh, a little bit to the point where Wonder Woman's lasso has become ultra powerful. And so it's her, Martian Manhunter, hmm. and Superman that fly off to space and they've wrapped the world around with her magic lasso and they're pulling it back into orbit, which total lame moment for me.
2: Yeah. I, I, and I remember thinking like, I'm just going to say that this that the lasso has become some sort of allegory for this for, you know, them using their powers in this way and it's magic, it's magic, it's magic. Yeah. And let's just move on. Yep. Because it was it was it is, you know, Superman spinning around the world and going back in time that way. It does kind of Because the story was very tied up until that moment. And this is very close to the end. I think this is basically the end. Yeah. Um, One thing you don't
1: want to do, though, is piss Aquaman off. Because Firestorm (laughs) comes to the rescue and essentially digs a trench across Atlantis that connects the ocean to this pool of water where he's been trapped. And when he gets back into the water, he has the full power of the seas with him, and again, this big Poseidon power, and he decides to bring hell and damnation down onto the uh, onto Atlantis, and essentially floods the city and sends it sinking back down, essentially resetting the reason why Atlantis is still underwater and still instead of above ground. Mm-hmm. And a lot yeah. of people start to condemn him. They're like, oh my god, are we going to let Aquaman do this? And they're like, no, wait. Now that uh, Ganymede's powers have been broken, the Atlanteans, who were air breathers, because she changed them into air breathers through magic are now being turned back into underwater breathers. Another thing that I found fascinating is in the month since Aquaman and the Atlanteans disappeared, it's been 15 years. That they've been trapped in the past and the above ground Atlanteans have turned the underwater breathers into slaves mm-hmm. and essentially uh, Arthur's wife and everybody kind of turn on him at the end when he gets turned back into a human being and, and they say, look, you're the one that had this big idea to send us in the past. You essentially turned us into slaves for 15 years. There's repercussions and ramifications that
0: you have to deal with. Yeah. Well, and this this was the story that brought Aquaman back to life because during the Our Worlds at War super or Superman crossover. DC had the great idea The you know, we're going to kill somebody big, we're going to kill somebody Boy, we're going to kill Aquaman. And they went, yeah! And DC went, no! And then Warner (laughs) Brothers went, oh, hell no! So then at that point, Hmm. they had to actually go go back and bring him back. But to me, the best parts of this story are the little moments where throughout... And I don't know if it's actually in this issue, but throughout that run of JLA, they run into magic users, and Batman would be like, I hate magic. Yeah, and then when he's dead... And the moment where they bring him back, and dead Batman is there, and he's got this this wicked smile on his face, he's like, I love magic. <laughs> now, I should
1: say that, what is the phrase that brings them back? Chuck. And I'm like, Chuck. And I'm like, yeah. holy crap! This whole time, Manitou—it's Apache Chief. Oh snap! It's a <laughs> Apache Chief, you guys. Now, now, is uh, this, dude, sir, there's an Apache Chief to see you. Is, is which this, one? I, I've got this question. I mean, is Manitou? I mean, has he been around? Have we seen him before? Is this the first time that we've seen him? What were you telling me earlier about this? This, this
2: story is the first appearance of uh, Manitou Raven, as I understand it. Um, there were as i understand it there was no analog in the comic book dc universe to the super friends um apache, apache, apache chief, chief. Yeah. in the jlu because of that they made an analog and that was long shadow in that uh, mm-hmm. in that one where they have the uh, all the old guys you know the wonder twins uh, samurai and right. all those guys mm-hmm. be like the, the ultimate dragon yeah the ultimate that's yeah. the one
1: now but what's weird is when we when they've defeated ganymede he I don't know, it's really odd. All of a sudden he's younger now and he's got a wife with him and he's in the present. I mean, that's, a, that's one thing that didn't strike, it struck me as odd. Matthew, it, can you fill me in on what's going on here? And who's this other girl? Well, and
0: The girl is uh, Manitou Dawn, who actually ends up being a, a character down the line who ends up being in a version of the League herself. Um, to my knowledge, there hadn't been any you know, reference to Manitou Raven before for this storyline. It was something that the writer had made up, but working throughout the issue, I, I totally marked out at the, the Inukchuk moment where he grew huge and started fighting with his bare hands. Agamemnemeh, <laughs> <G dwells> the bad guy. But the, the thing that struck me is, um, I think, if I was reading it right, and my memory may not serve me, I think that part of his age was part of his his imprisonment in the past. His wife had either died or been left behind, and then when he came back to the future, magically she was brought to the future with him. And I don't know if he it's was so weird that- so much as he was. I think I think what happened is it wasn't
2: that he was younger. It was a just he was drawn differently. Oh, no, maybe like, that's okay, what it is. Right? Well, he's been a, he's he had been... he
0: had access to modern shaving technologies. Yeah, basically.
2: <laughs> um, and the the sad thing about it is that. You know, if you read later on, I think the the only reason why they brought his wife was so there could be some tension, I think, between him and Firestorm. Right. Because Firestorm starts digging the wife. Yeah. Um,
1: now, he ends up dying, right? Because don't we see him in 52?
0: He dies in Justice League uh, Elite. And at one point, his wife um, ends up having a dalliance with Green Arrow. That's right. So she actually... She sleeps with Green Arrow and then he dies horribly, and she takes on his powers and becomes the new Manitou. But the character in 52 was actually Super Chief rather than Apache Chief. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's just, it was just weird how they're not dealing. Not to be with-
2: confused with Master Chief.
1: <laughs> right. Uh. <laughs> I, I, I thought this was, you know, this is actually the first time I'd read it. For some reason, I read the Midsummer's Dream uh, JLA miniseries before it became into a regular monthly, mm-hmm. and I kind of liked it, but kind of didn't, and I think my budget at the time was dwindling, and so that was one of the titles that I just had to stop reading, and I missed um, uh, the Babel one with uh, Ra- Ra's ghoul and and Batman essentially right. defeating everyone on the team, which I'd like to go back and read, and I totally missed this, and so... Uh, having read it for the first time, I'm going to give it four out of five stars. I thought it was a really, really good story. And I think it's self-contained enough to where mm-hmm. if you just know that something has happened to uh, Aquaman and the rest of the Atlanteans and you just ride with it, I think it's a, it's a good story. I do have some issues with the lame moments in there, mm-hmm. uh, but there are very some very special moments in the piece, too.
2: Oh, yeah. For me, definitely four out of five as well. Um, there are... Like there's there's a lot of good uh, Justice League storylines, but in this one, I mean, s- small moments, huge epic moments, three juggling three Justice Leagues at once essentially. I thought that was very um, good. Just huge cats. This is truly epic superhero storytelling, just done right. And I, you know, I, you know, I'll probably give it four and a half stars. That's that's how much I like it. Yeah. Okay, cool.
0: I would say probably similarly. One of the things, a recent analog for me was there was a moment in action comics where Fire Lad got to be the Wolverine-style badass. And I love the fact that this series had moments for Zatanna, it had moments for Jason Blood, for Faith, who was a brand new character, for Firestorm, who was pretty much, you know, devalued at that point in time. It, It made Aquaman impressive you know mm-hmm. and i could just when he when he drowned atlantis i could just hear him saying go talk to some fish huh <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> it it took the moment where it gave you you know the iconic characters the big seven but it didn't short change the other 15 main characters and the fact that I said it didn 't short change fifteen characters to me you know says enough about the book that it was quality it was well written. The art was quirky but not distractingly quirky
2: mm-hmm. it had
0: agree. that that weird aspect that made it feel mystical, so I would say at least four stars i don 't know if i 'd go four and a half simply because of some of the the overarching plot issues and the extreme complication of the mm-hmm. plot yeah when i when I read it, I had an advantage because you were talking about jumping from future to past, future to past. Each issue took place in one time frame. That's true. You're right. The switches that you're seeing are coming every 18 issues. So I didn't necessarily have that because at the end of the past, I stopped. I put it back in the bag. I put it down. I picked up the next issue. So I had, you know, a good 12 to 15 seconds to reboot my brain every time. But definitely a four star effort. Wonderfully done. I think it's probably some of the best, the best work out of that JLA title in recent years. Probably going back to when Grant Morrison left. Yeah, and
1: and the ending is where the Justice League, and it's kind of a, it's kind of like the after, you know, the the uh, not the prologue, the. Uh, epilogue Epilogue to the story is what the heck happened to Plastic Man? He was turned to stone, and he drowned with the rest of Atlanta, so there's this one final issue that's tacked onto the end where they're going and they're recovering Plastic Man, and we see the JLA kind of splitting up with Ion going off to find his way with... John Stewart coming back on board with Major Disaster and Faith and all these other. Well, Faith sticks around. Hawk uh, Woman going back to yeah. or Hawk and Girl I think, going I think back major to Major Disaster jail. sticks around yeah. too. And so it, John just, Jones leaves the team. Which yeah, and he leaves the team
0: because
1: he's trying to f- recover from his fire uh, uh, fear phobia. So it's just a nice little bonus backup story at the end.
2: And and the best part about it is that once again it sets up Plastic Man as basically the most powerful character in the DC universe. Yeah, because I mean, it's, yes. it's
1: revealed there, he says. I Can't Die.
2: Yeah. The reason why he didn't become a ghost and fight like everyone else is because, unlike everyone else, he didn't die.
1: Yeah, and he goes yeah. through a great moment of how he spent 3,000 plus years yeah. just floating yeah. in the ocean as a little particle. Yeah. So, you do it really, it, check it out. Yeah. It's JLA, The Obsidian Age, Book One and Book Two from DC Comics. Highly recommended by everyone on the podcast. And we're out of time again this week. I want to thank everybody for listening and tuning in. Please tell everyone that you know about the show. We'd like to have more people listening and commenting and you know what you can head over to the website at Majorspoilers.com you can leave comments there you can start discussions in the Major Spoilers forum heck if you'd like and we'd really like to see a few more of these go over to iTunes or PodcastAlley.com and give us a few votes or a few comments we really appreciate that and if you have questions comments or topic ideas for future shows feel free to drop us an email at podcast at Majorspoilers.com because we know that you love comics and we do too and we'll see you next time guys
2: guys I'm Iron Man. That'll be
1: $5,000, please. Yeah, we're going to get sued. <laughs>
0: Stop. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the
1: No oh.